0: You're listening to Partnernomics Podcast, where we discuss the art and science of developing successful strategic partnerships. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics solutions, visit partnernomics.com.
1: Well, today we are joined by Mr. Bernie Brenner. we we'll get a chance to talk to Bernie again. Man, it's always fun. I feel like I could talk to Bernie for days and days about, uh, about this whole world of partnering, but... Bernie, thanks so much for your time again. It's good to catch up with you. And I definitely want to catch up on Raleigh and see what you've been up to lately.
0: Oh, man, I'm glad to be here. Thanks. I, I always enjoy talking to you because uh, it's, it's fun to talk to people and you who understand partnering and have a passion for it, which is, of course, where I live every day. So uh, so it's great. Yeah, Raleigh is cranking, uh, just closed around. And our partnership strategy, which is how we started True Car and I started you know, a bunch of other companies that I had or been a part of, uh, is really it's three years in and if you recall from the sumo advantage what i talk about it takes about three years to mat- you know mature and assess what's happening with some of these partnerships uh, and what the potential is and and generating a you know good amount of revenue so last year was just a, a great year for us with covid of course if you all know uh recreation became like the hottest category in the second half of last year so we're just in the right place at the right time and and with a great team
1: yeah man we'd uh just uh purchased well i think i even reached out to you using the rollick platform which was really cool to to see that up here in kansas city a lot of the dealerships up here but uh yeah it's it's so expensive to buy four wheelers and side by sides now man it's like this covid is is killing us
0: it is well first of all yeah there's there's no inventory supply chain issues manufacturers shut down uh at q2 of last year so it's created this supply issue which has caused uh uh, consumer. You know, there's probably five consumers, ten consumers for every one unit that's out there, and so yes, prices have risen. And they're just they're amazing machines in the first place. If you're looking for a side by side or something, and you know, with all the accessorization that's on it, it's a it's a fun thing to ride around in. And so it's it's just happening uh, in in all these areas, category boats, forget it, RVs. I mean, it just there, there's plenty of orders for the next year and a half to two years. It's crazy what's going on right now. So all good. Uh, love being here in Austin, Texas. I'm supporting a couple of Austin companies, Capital Factory, which I always push. And any entrepreneur who's coming in Austin should uh, or visiting should definitely check out Capital Factory. And then my man, Philip Rather, has a, a pack supply company. Great, great uh, um he sent me a box of jerky, and I just got it. And, and the reason why I want to just—I'm wearing this hat, I'm just wearing Austin today—is he—he's got a great mission about mental health uh, and supporting that in a big way, and he's just phenomenal. So things are great in the business. Things are great in Austin. You may have been—you know—reading and hearing about how uh, a lot of companies are moving here, and the boom is—you know—going to continue to happen for a while now. So it's fun to be here with this much energy, and Rollick is just slotting right into that. So partly we're riding that wave, which is really great for us.
1: Yeah. So uh, Bernie, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love for you to give us a quick recap for those that might not be familiar with what Rolic is. And as you mentioned, you're one of the founders of True Car, helped build that, ran all the partnership uh, you know, teams for to, to or for, for True Car, excuse me, to, to build that into just the beast that it is now. My wife is using that platform to yet buy another new car. Uh, and then also you wrote a, an insanely awesome book, the Sumo advantage, absolutely love it. Recommend it to everybody that we work with. Um, Thank tell you. us so Rolic, what is it? Why did you start it? Just real briefly, mm-hmm. but you know, what what is it? Why'd you start it and what is what does it do for consumers?
0: Yeah. So look, when we started TrueCar, there, there was, it was the mission was around creating a better experience. Uh, and we started with partnership strategy with USAA and American Express and all the others. And close to 500 different organizations that drove traffic because we had this great value prop. And it's the same here at Rollick, that's how it started. When you look at the transactions that are happening in Power Sports RV Marine, it's still the same thing. The dealers need help, the dealers wanna do better. There needs to be some enabling and there needs to be some education and price uh, um, clarity that also helps bring consumers in. So in the end of the day, if a consumer wants to buy, a uh, one of these products or you're a member of Sam's Club or uh, the AAA and, and Allstate Progressive, we have these private label platforms for you all. And you can go to those platforms. You can go to gorallick.com and you'll find these products and you'll find dealers that understand who you are and want to provide a great service to you as well as a great price. But it's about experience. Uh, it's about understanding you know, more personalization around who I am as a customer, as a buyer, and how you Uh, bring that customer in to a dealership with that personalization. I'm not just a number, I'm an individual and you understand me. I want you to understand me so that I feel better about making that transaction. And it's been working great. And and, uh, outside of the marketplaces that I just explained and supporting those dealers, we actually now have uh, close to 90 manufacturers on our platform uh, partnering with us as well. So it's been really, it's an amazing ride over the last three years and how we've accomplished so much and just the team's been great. And I'm looking
1: forward to 21. Well, same, I can't wait to have this conversation with you. Uh, it might take you five or six years down the road, but I want to be talking about Rollick being the billion-dollar, uh, you know, <laughs> buying platform. So that'll be an awesome conversation. I literally just used Rollick a week and a half ago to buy our new four-wheeler, and we're looking oh, at side, side. So an awesome, awesome platform. Use it. Uh, so, Bernie, I want to like lift the hood and really dig into, um, you know, into partnership best practices and talk about, uh, you know, these pieces and. The framework that we have, I really want to drill into what we call the five-phase partnering process and step through a couple of those components, but uh, what we call phase one, right? It's, it's the strategy side of it. Now, I'd like for you to kind of give us a lens into some of the businesses that you've had in the past, but from a strategy perspective, and we share, you got to get clear internally within your own company of what it is that you're trying to do, define what success looks like, get really clear internally before you pick up the phone and start going externally. Talk to us a little bit. I mean, from a CEO's perspective, and somebody that's led a lot of partnering teams, from a strategy perspective of how we're going to launch with a partnering program, what should we be thinking about?
0: Yeah, th- this is this is such a great question. Of course, I live partner and just you know breathe it and and get it, and I I get a lot of energy from it. Uh, partner is strategy. It is not sales. Like we talk about that in the book. There's a, and, and this is very important when if for anyone who is starting a partner initiative, a BD initiative, that it's very, very different from sales. So first understanding that and accepting it uh, and accepting that then you're ready for BD. But st- partner from my perspective, looking at, is, uh, at the landscape, I like to consider what's happening in the market first, right? Who are the players? Who has momentum, leverage, uh, assets, and then determine if you're competing with them, well, how do you leverage the rest of the market in order to make you bigger if you're an early stage company, or at minimum to change the dynamics in the space, right? Because everyone is competing, either directly or indirectly in some, in some ways. And then there's plenty of partners out there as well. You may have a common competitor, or it just makes sense because that the two companies can evolve much faster. With uh, through a partnership strategy. So I first look and say, how can I be bigger? This is the point of the Sumo advantages as an entrepreneur, which Sumo can you partner with, right? Not a whale that you're gonna close a big uh, sale on, but truly a, someone who can get in the ring with you and compete and understands rules of engagement, which is a Sumo. So I would say, I look at and say, okay, who, who can move the needle for us? Again, not revenue, strategically in the market, who's changing that dynamic where the competitor so it has to go, huh? But also the the clients that you're going after, the customers that you're going after, say, "Wow, I want to get involved with that. That's new. That's fresh. That's interesting. Let me see what happens there." So, as an example, when we came to market on Rollick, we we had Sam's Club as a big partner of ours. So now, when we're talking to dealerships, again, it's just like TrueCar. It's not talking about, "Oh, our our regular customer portal." And then you have to deal with the quality and traffic but you're saying you want to be part of the sam's club recreation buying program and at a minimum in this case dealers were our customers they say let me learn more about that that's that's really interesting what does that mean what do i need to do maybe i don't want to do what you need me to do but at least we're having the dialogue because it's not just knocking on the door and saying hey here's another marketplace i know you're on cycle trader but why don't you just try our uh platform as well it's it's that that that's the big difference from my perspective. BD is about accelerating the sales function. So go get cut a big deal, Sam's Club as an example. And then the salespeople now have some uh, extra gas, fuel, uh, an asset to sell that creates differentiation. And that's how the market starts to shift. And then you get more and more and more. And it's all about figuring out how strategically to attack the problem and create momentum on your side.
1: So Bernie like uh, I'd like for you to kind of talk to the CEO that's sitting out there that's saying, you know, today we have a direct sales force, I'm interested in leveraging this, this sales partnership approach, channel, channel means so much more, so much wider than the traditional old just sales approach. But uh, what kind of advice would you give to that CEO that's thinking about doing this this partnering lane to get sales and then also what kind of expectations would you give him or her around the time, the resources that it takes to stand up an organization that, that sells through partnerships.
0: Yeah, well, you hit the biggest issue right there for the entrepreneur or the CEO that wants to, uh, is thinking about a partner strategy uh, this is a long-term commitment. And I've advised a bunch of CEOs over the years. Uh, I love helping CEOs, uh, entrepreneurs that think it's a, a responsibility to give back and help as much as possible. And a lot of them just can't embrace the, the, the what is required to do that, right? Because they're still thinking sales in their mind. So first of all, there's no ROI in the first year. Let's just, just assume that is the case. You could get it and that would be wonderful. And in times you can get it. But just don't assume that's going to be there, because if you assume that you're going to put pressure on the on the effort to deliver within a quarter like a salesperson does. Like you have a sales organization. This is what we need this quarter. Right. Month, quarter, year. Uh, and that's not going to apply here. The, the, what, what do we what do we want to accomplish in a year, which would be more strategic and certain deals that you'd like to get or momentum you like to get in that area. But still, when the deal is done, it does not translate into revenue right? All the revenue comes afterwards. That's what true partnership is. So the expectation has to be, all right, I'm committing to this and I'm committing resources to this. And I'm going to let this go for at least a year. And that year is also, and you've hired the right person. And so you have to consider who you're hiring and it's not a salesperson, right? Just like in managing the partner is not an account manager. They're very good at what they do, which is sales. And unless they understand the difference between sales and BD, have a compensation structure, that's different than sales. They're not going to perform the way we all would want them to on a partner strategy. So there's a whole bunch of things that go in, starting with, I'm committed. Then there's resources. Then who is on that team driving it and then who you're hiring to support it. Uh, And then it can go from there, but there's, it's safe to to say that this is a one year effort with the right team. Uh, And then you can see, you can assess, okay, where are we at? Are we successful or not? are we making progress, are we not? And then maybe you, you don't go after, but anyone who thinks they're going to do it in a quarter is just wasting time. Yeah.
1: Bernie, talk to us about, you know, so you're CEO of Rollick, you have teams, you have individuals that help out in, in this partnering lane specifically. So we're excluding any kind of direct stuff, but in this partnering lane specifically, talk about the importance of from maybe even the board, the investors, you, the CEO, all the way down to your partnering team leaders, those directors, and then even Mm -hmm. the individual contributors that are running partnerships. Talk about the importance of needing to get alignment, clarity on this strategy and really getting in sync before we step outside of our doors to start to recruit partners.
0: Yeah. So after what we talked about, which is commitment from the organization, resources, and then the right team, you, you know, they're, they're the executives that need to, everyone senior in the, in the team needs to understand what's going on. But since this is so long-term view, right, you're not, if nothing's going to close in the next year, six months to a year, let's say, uh, then then certain people just don't need to be distracted by this at this stage, right? There's just no reason to pull them in because there's nothing to do. And, but when there is something to do, then you you have to start bringing in the right people. So depending on what it is, is there integration where you need product, right? You need engineers or something like that. Is it marketing side that needs to get in, but that's really post post deal execution. So what I think about is at the point where the the sort of sumo's at the table, right? they're, They're liking what they're hearing. The BD people have worked out a construct around terms and you're moving. You're you're at the point where you're not moving to agreement, but you're there. The the partner is getting the team in, uh, involved, and now we are getting the team involved. Right? That is necessary. And so then, who who on the team is based on what what uh, what the priorities are and what the uh, necessary components are to successfully execute on that deal, right? And so you want to make sure that everyone is aligned, and most importantly, you want to make sure that the relationships are starting to be established prior to even a deal being closed because you want it, you want it, once the deals guild con- closed then the work starts so if everyone is or- already has some sort of familiarity with each other and some relationship and dialogue then it's much easier to start start moving faster versus let's have an intro call afterwards so I like doing it that way um, but it depends on what needs to happen will define which departments but you know in any in case you're going to have finance, because there's billing components to it. You're gonna have legal, of course. Uh, You're probably gonna have sales or engineer or, or product, depending on what responsibilities each company has. But there's alignment around how you're aligning with your partner, right? And getting everything in line to what responsibilities of each, what does that mean? And then now you're bringing your resources Who are really taking over right as the hunter we don't do anything i mean it's not that we don't do anything after the deal as i said the work really happens after the deal we're maintaining relationships but then it's part of the team to bring bring them in and they're going to execute and that that's really really important so you absolutely want to bring them in at the right time not too early but you don't want to bring them in too late because there's especially depending on the size of the company that could be really problematic Um, Early stage, we're all wearing multiple hats. And so everyone jumps in, jumps out, whatever, and no one's going to get annoyed that they were brought in a little too late because we're all dividing and conquering.
1: So a lot of companies that we work with, I would say typically 90% of them, they traditionally start out with their direct sales team, and then they grow into over the course of years uh, to, to leverage the power of partnership to sell through partners. And, uh, and I think uh, you know, some of your approach has been a little bit different, even where you start with a partnering or only kind of do the, the partnering lane. But we always talk so much about partnering being a culture of the company, and it needs to be a culture of the company. And uh, I'm envious of, of your employees because you're a partnering guy. And so you, the, the culture is a piece of that. A lot of times we run into CEOs and and business executives where they're more transactional, they're more sales driven, and they don't really understand that partnering side. And even the time it takes, the resources it takes, how partnering is different than than sales, which is something that you just pointed out. Um, But partnering truly is cultural,
0: is it not? It definitely is. Everyone has to get behind it because the question is always, is it worth it? Right. Remember with, with partners, no money changes hands. There's no transaction, right? That's the definition of a sale. I give you money, you give me goods, cups, whatever, coffee, you you know, services, tech services, whatever that may be. That's the definition of a transaction of sale. There's no transaction that occurs. And and even if even if we're one of one or, or both parties are contributing money to each other. One to it, the different, the other one for helping with development. That's really insignificant. It's irrelevant. You're not making money on that. That's all part of of moving the the business, moving the opportunity forward. So uh, culturally, the company needs to understand that we're working towards something bigger, right? And it's 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 the job of leadership to constantly reinforce that. Right. To why? Because it because it's easy to forget the why, because everyone's so busy. We're all doing so many things. And that revenue still has to come in. And this doesn't directly correlate to revenue yet. So it it is a, it is the leader's responsibility to always help. Uh, the employees understand that while you're, you're working really hard in this area and it's extremely valuable, this will ultimately help you in the end because the, the reason for partnership is to enable ex- uh, a better sales experience or velocity around sales and accelerate that because you're leveraging that as much as possible. My example of our salespeople going in and saying, do you want to be part of the Sam's Club Buying Program or with TrueCard, do you want to be part of the USA Car Buying Service? That, that's, that gets their attention right away and it's something to talk about. And uh, that, so that it will help eventually, it should if it's structured properly. So that's like another piece, which is how is the partnership structured to make sure that you're getting the, the commitment from the, the other partner? Because the worst scenario is you haven't structured the deal properly. Now you get your team spun up, they are excited about it, ready to go and it falls apart because the other, the partner was not set up correctly. And one of the things I always say is if the deal isn't structured right and the partner isn't committed where you feel, meaning the, the, the one who's doing the deal uh, comfortable with it and walk away. It's just not worth it. It's a major distraction. If it fails, you've just lost a year. It's just not worth it. So either structured, right. Everyone has to commit properly, including the sumo, which is very hard to get them to truly commit. It's a, it's an, there's a lot of work that's involved, a lot of technique to help them come along because they're inherently, they don't Partner well, large companies, but if it's not structured right, walk away from the deal. I've had to do that multiple times because it's just, I, I, it's 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 just not worth the risk for an early stage company to do that.
1: Great segue uh, into the next piece here, and that's phase two: engage uh, quality over quantity. You know, really getting clear on what your goals are, what your strategy is, and spend the time upfront to vet evaluate the fit with a potential partner before you do the deal. What kind of, I guess, recommendations or what has your approach typically been whenever it's time to engage? Let's go talk to these prospects and have those conversations. And then the importance to, to evaluate not only cultural fit, but then strategic fit that we're both going in the same direction.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it depends on the circumstances of how you'd evaluate a partner, right? What what, is, what are you doing? Are you are you getting something from them, uh, or are you are they are you leveraging an effort that they need to do, right? So, Sam's Club needs to market the Sam's Club program for Rollick, right? And we're standing up a, a portal for them, training our dealers on Sam's Club, all these other things. Sam's Club never commits to emails, doesn't understand, which they do, of course, they're a phenomenal partner. Uh, But if they, as an example, if the Sumo does not commit to the resources in a calendar, uh, because everyone has their calendar windows, let's say you rely, so this is an example where you're relying on the Sumo for marketing, pushing your product out there to help accelerate your sales, bringing in clients, bringing in the the demand side, because you're working the supply side, dealers are the supply in our example, and and consumers are the demand, and you want to marry them together. Uh, if they're not, if they're not prepared to do that, even in, in the contract where they're saying for the first year, this is, you know, there's a, uh, an exhibit that deals with the uh, let's say marketing responsibilities of minimums that are going to occur. It's, it's what, what, what are you committing to, right? Just signing a contract to do what? To maybe work it out in the, in the, in the end. And that is where a lot of entrepreneurs fall apart because they, they're so, they so are, it's so excited about doing the deal that they figure, oh, they'll deal with the commitment later. But that it rarely works. I would say it never works to the, to the expectation that you might have, that the entrepreneur has. And it never works to the, uh, you never realize the potential because it's just set up incorrectly. Mm-hmm. So it is so important to set that up. So it depends on what you need from them, right? And, and how you assess that. But it's really about commitment. Whatever they're agreeing to and whatever you need them to do, as part of this partnership, if they're not committing to it, and they're saying, well, we'll work it out later, that's a flag for me. Uh, and and there should be a flag for everyone. I know it's hard to say no when you've got a big company who wants to partner with you, who sees the value in what you're creating. But it, it's too risky, as I said, uh, to commit your company to something that doesn't have the commitment that's necessary to at least give it a really, really good shot. Not everything's going to work. Not every partnership works. But You can increase the probability of it working by setting it up structurally from the beginning.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bernie, one of our favorite topics, I think you and I both, is term sheets and the the power that can come from term sheets. And still to this day, literally, I was on a a call earlier this morning with a very large company, and they don't use term sheets. Uh, Let's talk about term sheets and kind of build it from the bottom up. I mean, what are they? And how do term sheets evolve over the course of engagement with a, partic- a particular partner, a potential partner?
0: Yeah, th- this is, and this is key to getting the relationship in the place that you want it to be in. And so a relationship and the ongoing work that happens post deal is between the business owners and then everyone else who's, you know, who's responsible for execution. The one who's not responsible for anything post deal is the lawyer, right? So, I want to I, I want to keep the lawyer out of the conversation for as long as possible, not because the I'm trying to get one over on the partner. It's because we can actually have real conversation with real words. You know, versus what happens with the Latin and all that you know that comes in, and all these clauses that are hard to understand, because we're not dealing with risk assessment, you know, with with risk mitigation and what ifs uh, from a from a cure period standpoint and violation of of IP or it's irrelevant to figuring out whether we can have a partnership. So I start with, frankly, my term sheets have evolved to being emails. First of all, it starts with a dialogue, right? So you may not have the, the best terms, or you may not have the details in the dialogue, but what you're saying is, okay, we're committing to do this, you're committing to do that. Yes, and of course, you know, there's tweaks and massaging and yes, we can do that, well, how would this work? And you're working through that. But after that conversation, then you know what your responsibilities are, you better deliver. And you know what their responsibilities are, they agree to it and they, they better deliver with it. Or let's say we want to do our best to deliver. Then there are things like, okay, well, what's the term? Uh, and, and this happens a lot where a partner will say, well, you know, I'm thinking we probably can do maybe like a six month term uh, and, or one year term. Let's just say, forget about pilot, just say, well, we'll do one year term. Well, one year term is not gonna work. Why isn't it gonna work? Because if you think about execution, we sign the deal, then it's gonna take, pick it, three months to launch, right? Then it's gonna take another six months to expand out to the size that we all want for this short-term period to assess whether it's successful or not. And next thing you know, we're we're at the end of the term, we don't even know where we're getting close to it. So are we gonna commit all these resources for a one-year deal? If it doesn't work, based on certain metrics, okay, we can all decide that we don't need to continue or, you know, business, rational business people can, can can do anything they want. They could say, well, there's a contract, but you know what? It's not working. So let's just part ways and deal with some separation because not, you're not going to be able to force someone to do something. I and mean, it's certainly not going to work in, in the partnership spirit. But uh, a one-year generally is hard to prove out Unless it's something simple, right? When partnering and they're giving us this, this stuff and they deliver in, in, in two months and we're good to go and, and we are in control of execution, that's different. But a one-year deal is really hard depending on how much how much, how many resources you have to apply. If it's not a lot, then sure. But if it is a lot, I get for, you, you gotta get a multi-year deal because it takes a while to get that going and it takes a while to assess. And it's very, very easy if it's a one-year deal for the team, let's say six months in on the other side to go, you know, I'm not feeling it yet. Let's just—it's only a one-year deal. Uh, I'm just going to give them notice with the 90-day uh, notice period, and we're good to go. Versus a two years, you're continuing—you're committed to dialogue and trying to refine the opportunity. So it starts there. So term sheet is around business people agreeing to broad-based terms. Let's do a multi-year deal. Maybe you don't—maybe you don't say the three-year first, but at least you're—you're you're agreeing conceptually a multi-year deal. You're going to do this. We're going to do that. Here's how. The billing works. We're going to take it. We're going to share this much revenue with you, right? Or we're going to share in revenue. You may not even get the specific check. But so the business people are saying, I agree to the framework. Then a term sheet comes. A lot of times I do it in an email where it's, um, okay, here's here's what I'm proposing. This much rev share uh, over this period of time with this, 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 and that, right? And then you have dialogue again around that. And that that's really, really important because the, the, the idea of term sheet right, is, is again, sort of a legal document. And a lot of times I find that the bigger companies need to then say, okay, well, let me go to my lawyer for the term sheet, or I like to draft the term sheet personally. And then if it's, if we go to, I've, I've been, to, so, I've done it so many times where the lawyers will come back and give me this term sheet. It starts with some legal leads. I'm like, this is awful because the moment the partner sees anything that looks like a legal document, they must send it over to procurement and now you've lost now you're in hell right because procurement unfortunately for these large companies they don't understand they're they're, they're there to do a lot of things not that they're bad people but they're procuring a lot of stuff they're procuring telephones they're procuring computers they're much more on that
1: transactional commoditized side where if you're if you're truly doing strategic deals if you're dealing with innovative initiatives it's out of the scope of really even their, their mindset and, and the way that they approach business. That's you right. Know, That's you right. You get the nail on the head. It's risk mitigation, risk understanding is really the lawyers kind of the center of what they do. But the second, and I could not agree more, the second that your attorneys try to help you negotiate specifically the business terms, you've
0: lost it. You lost it, right. So keep that away. And it's really helping the business people too. So it's not like you're doing something that's manipulative. You're just understanding the situation. And a lot of times I've been told so many times, oh, I don't know how we're going to get this through through the lawyers, right? But when they think about just a partnership, I don't know how we're going to get the company to do this, but we ultimately get them there. And you do it by rational discussion, establishing rapport, building trust, because you're really thinking about the long term, right? So, so it's all t- term sheet or terms, really, forget the word sheet. Terms need to be worked out with the business people. Once they're done, then it moves to lawyers. Generally speaking, as, a, as the smaller company with these, in the way we've partnered, like we're, we're powering the solution. We're providing the auto buying program for True Car. We're, we're providing the, uh, the um, recreation buying program for Rollick. So our paper, our contract has the structure of the obligations and SLAs and everything else around that. So we send it over and then procurement goes, you have to use our contract. And there's a big fight. And then we wound up using it. Then we, we wind up using it, it always happens. And then they send it over and we redline 80% of the document because, and then they say, well, how, how'd you redline this? And, and then you go through each line. Okay, well, tell me how that applies to what we're doing. We're not providing you with any goods. Like, what does this mean? We have to reship them to you within X amount of days if they don't show up. And it shows, then, then they're like, oh, after one of those exercises, which delays things and is a pain in the ass, but it's inevitable, we'll come back to our paper Or we will mark it up with basically putting our contract into their shell, into their header. And that's really all that it is. If this because says master services
1: agreement, there's a good chance that that master services
0: agreement is not going to fit for a strategic deal. A great point that that is uh, that it's exactly, exactly the case. So it's, it's somewhat unavoidable, but it but work through it, uh, you know, to, to all the entrepreneurs out there, just work through it. And hopefully the business people on the other side understand that. And there's, there's another nuance is some big companies and i have been through this, too, is they as soon as procurement gets it, you the business people are no longer allowed to talk to you. It's like done. And it's the most frustrating thing because most of the time, the procurement person, like like you said earlier, does not understand what's going on here. Right? They don't. Are we? Am I getting? Am I buying more computers? I understand that. It's pretty simple. Meaning the, the procurement, they don't understand this partnerships and no goods are changing hands. So what are they really doing here? And so that's been a, that's a total nightmare when that occurs. But that's not the norm. Luckily, many times you're still able to communicate with the the business people, and you want to bring them in uh, as much as possible to try and navigate the the legal side of the uh, of the relationship.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. There's just as you mentioned, you know, a couple of different times in, in this conversation, different companies do different types of deals, and the background that I came from—13 years at Sprint, doing highly technical integration oh, yeah, deals. Yeah you just have to understand kind of what the, what the core terms are and what, what your organizations mm-hmm. need. So Bernie, as we, as we start to wrap up, I want to ask you um, how, how do you evaluate different potential partners? And what I'm kind of thinking more specifically is, um, so different organizations that they're looking to stand up, let's say a referral uh, partner program. And some of these organizations, they could literally grow into having hundreds and hundreds of different referral uh, partners Mm -hmm. Um, we're, we're a firm believer in less is more and, and really making sure that whoever you do deals with, they are obligated to perform and they are going to make some return for you. Don't just cast big nets and hope that they bring, uh, you know, value to you, whatever value means, but, uh, really have some intent behind that. What are some structures that you use that you recommend to, evaluate potential partners, because at the end of the day, there's only so many, you know, so many hours and so much resources to manage partners and we want to part, we
0: want to manage them well. Oh yeah. 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 So I, I look at the market and say, cause you're right. Can you go to everyone? No. Is everyone going to make a difference? No. Right. There's, there's a handful that will relative to whatever space they're in. So I look at, break it down into like immediate ones that can create a lot of velocity. Using your referral concept, right? There's there's leaders and you sort of inherently know who the leaders are. It's not just size, but it's who can who who's the best at and has a reputation or or can show data around around that. And then there's like then there's long, then there's the followers and then there's long tail, right? So long tail just let it go. Like, just don't get distracted at all. The big ones, now you're assessing, well, who's the biggest and who can do it? Hopefully, you know, some information already because you've had experience, but if you haven't had any experience, then it's about, you know, understanding, let's say, you know, it's, it's not just size. If someone says, I have, uh, I have 5 million people signed up for my portal, right? The next question is, well, how many are active? How many visit your portal once a month, right? Let's just say that's an, and you want referrals, right? So you, they're coming to your portal and you're going to get referrals from there. Them saying 5 million or 10 million is is, is meaningless, right? How many are active? So if it's half a million, okay, well, how frequently those half a million? Because that half a million, if they're really loyal, I'd love to get access to that. So, if they're coming twice a month, three times a month, even better. If they come once a quarter, okay. If they come once a month, great. Depending on what the relationship is, they may need to come once a month. And then look at this well, if they're really, if they're really invested, meaning that the, the 500,000, how many times should they in order to really be using this, to be considered a power user or not? And so you start breaking it down that way. So, you have an idea of your target. Then you maybe call the target, you're, you're talking to them and you're just doing some discovery if you don't have experience with them or with companies like them in the you know, so that's how I look at it. And if it's very long tail, either set up like one of those, you know, commission portals that that cuts the checks and everything and does all the reporting and let them sign up through there and that's fine. But you're not going to spend any time working those smaller deals because if you do 50 deals, there's 10 that matter. Yeah. Right, And the 50 are important, that's fine strategically. It makes sense maybe, and 50 is a lot actually, but let's say you do 20, there's five that matter. Right, You want all 20 because you want to make sure you have them versus someone else having them, Right, your competitor, but really it's the five that matter and you, you'll learn that over time. But you got to start with, it's not just the size, it's engagement and what's the trust level if you can measure that, influence level, those types of things, open rate on emails. These are all these questions you can ask for you to assess uh, because everyone's going to posture around how they're bigger than they are, right? Because because in the middle of negotiations, you want a better deal. Maybe you want a better rev share. Maybe you want more money for doing this or whatever. And so there's ways, there's questions to ask to then draw out really what the the size is. So uh, that's how I uh, approach it. But I I leave long tail for a long time away.
1: Kind of doing your homework on the front end to determine what is the the profile almost of of who are. F- five out of 20 rock stars will be and try to go after the rock stars. Mm-hmm. You know, that prato principle 80-20 attempt to only do deals with the 20% because the long tail is just going to waste your time. And, and there's a cost to having partners. And uh, so, so right. don't spend your time there.
0: And there's also a waterfall, like maybe they're all in a category, you're going after insurance first on something. And so there's there's one through five and maybe you call one first or maybe you call two first or maybe there's a relationship that you have and you're gathering information so that you can understand and assess the situation. And then it, it, then you start to build off of that, right? And, and, and you're, cause you're learning more each time and learning the right questions to ask to assess for the next one. So really when you're, when you're calling out and you're reaching out to see if, some, if, a, if somebody's interested, you're also doing sometimes a lot of discovery on your own we don't have to know everything when we go in. We just have to have the idea that I think we can work well together and here's my thought on that. And then they may contribute, they may not, right? But, but as I say, in the Sumo Advantage, it's focused on not getting a no. It's not about getting a yes. You're not gonna get a yes in this phase, but you wanna make sure that you don't get a no. And so you have to position things in the right way, use the right words to make sure that it's not a, nah, I don't like that. I don't wanna do that. There's no reason to do that. Move on. So that's, where, that's how you navigate those types of things.
1: So Bernie, last question for you on the, the big topic of negotiating and how we negotiate deals. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to have you just talk about how do we negotiate these BD, these partnering deals, and what does that approach look like or what should it look like relative to um, our, our brothers and sisters over in, let's say a supply chain management, a procurement that's more you know, kind of transactional in nature. How should we approach negotiating and... You know, so many times we talk, you know, think about it being contentious in these, you know, dark rooms with bright lights. Uh, what is the approach that, that you have taken throughout your career and that you uh, impress upon your, your team as they
0: do the negotiations? Yeah, sure. Well, first thing is, if this is a, if this is a true partnership in a multi-year deal, the one thing we always have to keep in mind is that uh, you're going to be working with this individual and this company for a long time, and they're your champion as much as the individual that you're negotiating with. So if you know more information and there, and maybe you can take advantage of a term, I, I don't think that's a good thing to do because it's going to come out later. And the trust that you just built, we talked about trust, is now going to get eroded when they find out six months from now that you took advantage of them in one way. So that's one thing. But that doesn't mean that you can't have conflict. And, and, and in some of an intense negotiation, but it always has to be respectful and it's always for the right reason. It's always to get to the great partnership that you want. Uh, it's not, again, it's not a sale. Let me get this right now. If someone's negotiating, well, working you on price, working you on price, well, that's great. That's doesn't feel great for them, for the for the person who's getting work, but that's not, that doesn't happen in a partnership. The negotiation is really, could be about rev share, could be about term, could be about responsibility, could be about how you, share costs. There's all these things that get involved there, but it's always important to remember it's a multi-year deal. Therefore you're, you're trying to set up the right platform that everyone can work on later on. So, uh, uh, but there are times where friction occurs and it is totally okay. So long as you know, whatever you say, you can then go out to lunch with the person afterwards. It's sort of like a you know thing to keep in the back of your mind. Am I am I stepping over the line or am I fighting for what I believe and what I believe is still in the best interest of my company, but also for the partnership? And that, that is that is important. So all added on having intense negotiations when necessary. Uh, I don't shy away from conflict at all as it relates to that. Because I truly believe I'm doing it for the right reason, and remember, like in any relationship, even you know with with you know a personal relationship, if there's no communication and there's no conflict around uh, a problem, then then there's no communication, and therefore you don't have as tight a relationship. So it really applies here as well, uh, um, and that's just how I and, and I find that to be very successful in building long term relationships with these people.
1: If you're trying to do some innovative things, that's going to be a paradigm shift. That is the recipe for conflict. And, and I love what you say is conflict itself is neutral. It's not good nor bad. It's it's neutral, but it's, is it constructive or destructive?
0: Yes, that's great. And that's way to think the key, about it. right? That's right. Exactly, exactly. Healthy conflict, constructive conflict is important to get through the issue, yeah. right? Just like I said, with the, with the, even with the procurement person like you know at some point it's 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 a it's a conflict to go in and say so you're going to kill this deal because we're not willing to pay an extra 5 million in premium for liability insurance that we don't need that no one else has ever asked for is that what you're going to do that's conflict right but i'm doing it for the right reason now i sound intense maybe it's passionate hopefully it comes off as passionate but they're fighting for something that you believe in and you also believe that that really is not necessary and they're just holding on to it for no reason if it's legit then absolutely, we should work through that, right? But that in that scenario, that's just that's just going over the edge, just flexing a little muscle that just really doesn't need to be there. Uh, and so you can have that conflict there as well.
1: Mr. Bernie, I know you got a business to run, so we're gonna let you go. Yes. But
0: uh, thank right, you so well, much
1: for, uh, for the time. And man, it's gonna be fun to continue to watch you and Rollick.
0: Yeah, well, I love all the content that you push out. Thanks uh, for letting me be a part of this. And uh, yeah, well, let's just face in a couple of months and we'll see where we go. Sounds good. Thank you, sir. Right. Yeah. Take care. Partnernomics Podcast is brought to you by Partnernomics. Learn how to leverage the power of partnership. To listen to more episodes of Partnernomics Podcast, visit partnernomics.com.